Good morning. This is Kevin Payne, pastor at First Baptist Church in Independence, Missouri. Welcome to our podcast. What you're about to hear is a portion of our worship services that began last Sunday morning at 1030. Every week we gather and sing praises to the living God and hear teachings from His Word found in Scripture. We hope you enjoy the message. If you'd like to hear more, there are more here on the podcast, or you could come and worship with us. Our Bible studies begin at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and our worship begins at 1030. We're located in Independence, Missouri, 500 West Truman Road. Why don't you come and worship with us? Father, we thank you this morning. Coming out of a holiday season, we're tired, we've eaten too much, want things to get back to normal. So we come to you, Father. Help us to focus in this coming year on not just normal, but that which you want for us to be normal. Help us to be normal in the practice of our faith, normal in the resistance to sin and the sin that is within us normal in the fight for all that is good and gracious. Be with us today, Father. Hear our words of praise. Give us comfort and hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amazing grace How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my Baby. 
shall soon dissolve like snow the sun forbear to shine but God who called me here below will be forever mine will be forever mine you are forever mine thank you Nate and friends open your Bibles with me this morning if you would Luke chapter 1 Luke chapter 1 finishing up a series what do you want for Christmas kind of a leftover after Christmas but it'll be alright I think what do you want for Christmas? So we're going to try to answer the question today with this answer. I want a good now and forever. Again, having that conversation with someone, what do you want? And they say, I want a good now and forever. So how does that question answer? How is it answered by the Christmas story, if it is at all? We tend to think Christmas is about presents, and it's not. Christmas is about that one great gift to be cliche it's a gift that keeps on giving but it is a gift that gives now and forever so we're going to talk about that today Luke chapter 1 hold your Bibles open if you would let's begin with prayer shall we Father again we thank you for your presence today we all come from different stations in life for some the week has been easy and good and rich for others, there have been losses and hard times. We gather and worship the one place where we were truly all equal, following the resurrected Christ. Father, we worship you. We worship your son, Jesus. We welcome your Holy Spirit into our lives. And in the name of Jesus, we lift up our hands in praise. We thank you for the good that we have in this life for what the Christmas season means to us, not just family and friends and gifts, but a God who loves and gives. We ask you to be with those families that are struggling, give them comfort. Help us to lift them up as we can. We pray as always for our soldiers and first responders and their families. Use them wherever they serve. Use them to bring peace and justice and freedom we pray father for our leaders in this coming year help us as we navigate difficult circumstances politically an election wild division and partisan politics help us to get past this time father to stand together once again give us guidance and wisdom as we face a changing world and Lord, for those of us who are people of faith, give us guidance. What we have always believed and accepted is being challenged in so many ways. Help us. Help us to stay true to the true faith. To let go of those habits 
and traditions that may be unbiblical and ungodly. Help us to know the difference. Help us more than anything to love and give grace to others, to share the gospel, to have a burden for those without Jesus. Be with us now and teach us from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever heard the phrase, it's a God thing? I remember the first time I heard it, one of the young mamas in my previous church in Rolla was talking about a circumstance. She had been driving in an ice storm, going too fast. She was always in a hurry. So she was going well over 50 miles an hour in an ice storm, couldn't see very well, couldn't steer very well, and yet she pushed the pedal down because she was in a hurry. And then she spun, twirled on the highway, going 50 miles an hour, covered with ice, crossed the lane, the cars dodged her. She went down a steep embankment, missed a concrete abutment, a couple of trees, went through the ditch, bounced up the hill, landed on a knoll in the woods, in the middle of a forest, missed everything. She stopped, turned off her key, shook her head and got her thoughts together. She didn't get a chance to open her door. It had taken her a couple of minutes to get her thoughts together because the people that had missed her on the highway saw the situation. Two men stopped, ran down and up and opened the door for her and asked her if she's okay. She was. Long story short, she got a new car and a great story. She was telling us a story at church, and we were standing there in awe of her story. She told a great story, by the way. And we marveled at her safety and security, and she said, she held her hand up and goes, it's a God thing, that's all I can say. Somehow, God had kept her from injury. Somehow, God had kept her from being run over by the cars that she ran in front of, missing the abutment, missing the tree, missing the woods, having help to stop her and help her out of the car. It's a God thing. It was just that simple for her. And we smiled because we knew that even though you can't really test that, some people would say there are physics at work and all those kinds of things, there are events and circumstances that happen which seem to defy common logic. And so the phrase, it's a God thing, seems to work sometimes, doesn't it? It doesn't apply to all situations we know that. But it's a God thing has come to my mind many times after that. So in this series of sermons, what do I want for Christmas has been answered a number of ways. What I want for Christmas now, after the presents and after the gifts and after, well not after because I haven't got the decorations down yet. But after all that is said and done, what I want is a good now and a good forever So how does Jesus fit into that? How does he fit into the idea that now I want a good life? And just as importantly, how do I want God to fit into my perspective of eternity? Well, I think you can see that if we look at this story. So follow along with me if you would. Luke chapter 1, I'll read verses 26 through 37. Luke 1, beginning at verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. 
And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. So a couple of things we can learn from this passage. First of all, Jesus' birth shows God's power at work on this earth. It's a God thing. I've imagined that conversation between Joseph and Mary when they discussed comparing visions, dreams, words from the archangel. And I want to think that Mary, the young girl, said, it's a God thing. And that is what she said. She didn't use that phrase. But I know that this is what she thought. In a very simple way, she understood God is working. The whole story is like that when you think about it. The Holy Spirit implanted a child within her, explained it to her, explained it to Joseph. He caused them to stay together. At the same time, Elizabeth, an aunt, too old to have a child, was pregnant at the sixth month, so says the story. Another miracle, it's one of those unsold miracles that we don't hear about too much. We don't talk about her. John the Baptist, the cousin, one who was to come. John the Baptist was the one who was going to tell everyone about Jesus, if you remember. So in that story of miracles, there is that quiet miracle, John the Baptist. The last verse that I read is probably telling here. If you would, look at that verse again, verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Probably the simplest truth of this story is that God can do whatever he chooses. It's a God thing. Yes, he can do whatever he chooses. He may not do what you want him to do. He may not do it on your time schedule. He may surprise you completely. But God can do anything he wants. He is God, by the way. And he doesn't do it in a capricious way. But, but what he does is do what he sees best. He is ideally, and this is the image we have of God, loving father who understands what children need. Early in the morning, I was having a discussion with some of the people in the band, and we were talking about how your perspective changes when you become a parent. When you're growing up, you have an, a way of looking at life, don't you? A way of looking at relationships and all those things. Then you get married, and, and still things don't change that much in the way you think. But then as soon as you have a child, everything changes, doesn't it? It changes your perspective. It changes your values. It changes how you think. Because not only do you think just right now, you are forced to think, what about then? Where will my child go to school? Will my child know how to act? Will he know how to talk correctly? Will he treat adults correctly? Will he treat men and women equally? Will he treat them with respect and those kinds of things? And you begin to think as parent, and it changes you. So when we think about that, 
we see God working as father, working in the lives of his children, doing, acting, getting involved. I watch my daughters getting involved in their kids' lives, sometimes too much, sometimes not enough. They stumble like all of us. We've all done it. Sometimes we hover when we shouldn't, and sometimes we stand back when we should hover. God is perfect father, knows, knows when to do whatever he does, does the right thing. So in this story, the author of Hebrews says, in the fullness of times, God formed Jesus in the womb and brought him to bear. And this story begins of God working in people's lives. God's grace applied to us all. On screen are some ideas about how you might see God at work. And I'm not going to give you a lot of examples or quote you a bunch of scriptures today. One of the first things are signs of the miraculous. All right, show of hands, how many of you really believe in miracles? Yeah, there you go. By definition, miracles are rare. I mean, if they're, not, if they're all the time, they're not miracles, they're commonplace. Miracles are rare. They're things that they work outside of the laws of nature and physics. They don't necessarily break laws. They work outside them. They are supernatural, supranatural, the philosophers would call it. And there are ways that God works to, to bring things about. Doesn't do it all the time. Doesn't do it on command, by the way. I used to joke because there were Pentecostal churches where I went to college. And they would say, miracle service, 7 o'clock. You really can't do that. You can't force God to do a miracle. You can't manipulate him with your prayer. You can't buy him with a special offering, by the way. You pray that God will act. And sometimes he will perform a miracle. It's interesting, this thing called miracles. Uh, I don't know how this works, but I have Christian friends. They follow Jesus, resurrected Savior, and they don't believe in miracles. I thought, well, how do you do that? I think of the gospel. The gospel is the miracle of the incarnation, the virgin birth. God becoming innocent child. Jesus resisting all temptation, living sinless life. Crucifixion where Jesus, Son of God, died, paid the price of our sin, crucified Jesus, resurrected. Jesus ascended. It's all a miracle, isn't it? How can you not believe in miracles? And that's not a, a thing of logic. It's just an issue of faith. So when I say miracles, I really believe in miracles, not a modified form. I just believe in miracles. I don't know that I can always pinpoint whether something is a miracle or not, and I don't have to. I just look for God to work, and if it looks like a miracle, then it's okay. It's okay to ask questions of it. Was it really a miracle? It's all right. God's a big guy. He can handle your questions. But ultimately, God does the miraculous. And the miraculous is that prime example of how God works in this life, he comes and intervenes and, and changes and, and fixes and, and all, does all those kinds of things. And we live in faith that God will do something like that based on the miracle that he's already done in Jesus. Another way that God works are what I just call God events. These are things that are a little more subtle 
A God event is when you're going along your way and you shoot your mouth off and you feel good about your brilliance and your impeccable mastery of the English language. And the Holy Spirit gouges you and says, wait a minute, guilty. That's a God event when he convicts you of sin. No one else may know it, doesn't matter. But you know it, that's a God event. Sometimes a God event is when you're in a group of people or you're at a Walmart or wherever, doesn't matter, and you feel drawn towards an individual. Maybe to give a gift. Maybe to give a hug. Maybe just to help out. God nudges you to do the right thing sometimes. Not the thing that you would choose. Maybe the thing that would be inconvenient for you, but, but God works anyway. And you've all felt that in some way or another. Sometimes it's very dramatic and people will see it. And sometimes it's just, it's just between you and God. And if you're listening, the voice is loud. If you say no, just go on. But when you hear God's call like that, and you do what God has called you to do, then you are rewarded with this sense that for just a moment, you were exactly where God wanted you to be. That's a God event. Happens sometimes. Sometimes it's, I think God event is where things happen just so. We've all experienced circumstances where coincidental, coincidental things happen, and we know that. But sometimes, like my friend's experience on the icy road, there are too many things that come together, this confluence of events and circumstances where it has to be more than just the laws of nature. It's a God thing. And finally, his felt presence. This occurs when you pray sometimes and you sense just for a fleeting moment the presence of God. It happens in worship once in a while. It happens when you hear a certain piece of music. It happens when you hear somebody speak of their own faith. It happens when you see the way God has worked in someone's life. And just for a moment, like I said, it, it, you, you sense God at work. You see, God is with you. None of these are dramatic. We don't keep a record of those things. They don't merit a headline. But for people of faith, we spend our lives and we understand. When someone says, I felt the presence of God, we go, okay, because we've been there. God works. One of the other things that this passage alludes to isn't just that God works now but that God works in the future. And on screen we have this idea that Jesus' birth gives us an insight into God's eternal plans for us all. We have to understand the ancient cultures. You know, we talk about corrupt politicians today, right? He said, she said, and all this business. One of the hard things to realize is we didn't invent this sort of nonsense. It has been around forever. In ancient cultures... Governments really were corrupt, more so than you and I can imagine. And there were evil people in high places, profoundly evil, and a murder and intrigue, that was the norm. And the good people, well, they really weren't very good people. 
They just happened to have money and power and influence. And that was the norm. And that was a very small segment of the population. And then the rest of the people, well, those are the ones that they wanted to do right. They wanted to do good. They weren't necessarily profoundly evil or anything like that. But they were poor and powerless and depressed. And that was the way it was for probably 95 or 96% of the world. They were the poor and the oppressed. So the way people responded to that, the rich people didn't mess with this, but the way the poor people responded, they would generate stories of God or the God that would come and rescue. And they had all stories. And in most cultures and most religious faiths had these ideas that somehow, someway, God would come and rescue us. And it always included God's going to reward the good people and he's going to punish the bad people. And that was just the way things were. That was a universal desire. The Jewish people were no different. The prophets, under the leadership of the Spirit, developed the idea that there would come a time when a leader would come. They came to call him Messiah, anointed one. And he would come and he would vank good. And there would be justice. Just like today. In our story which was talking about a little baby coming, the coming Messiah, he alluded to this. If you would, look at verses 32 and 33, still in Luke 1. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So here he's talking to the Jewish people. Mary and Joseph had... Grown up on this idea, they were an oppressed people, there was an evil government, the good people were bad people, and all that sort of thing. And they lived with the idea that there would be a Messiah that would come and rescue them. And look at what they were told. He will be on the throne of David. He will reign forever. You see, in the middle of this story about Jesus, the innocent little child born of a virgin... They were talking about this is God's plan for forever. Not just salvation, but forever. Now typically, when we talk in the Christmas series, we talk about Jesus saving us from our sin. And we know that this is the big thing. When we talk about Jesus, we want to talk about Jesus saving us from our sin and dying on the cross and living the perfect life and coming back from the dead. And we need to focus on those things because that, by the way, is the essence of the gospel. And everybody needs that message, don't they? And we live with the conviction that people are separated from God by their sin. And even the good people are separated from God by their sin. And Jesus, that infant, died for everyone because everyone needs Jesus. And we focus on that and sometimes forget the other part of it. Jesus takes care of us now, the cleansing of sin, the presence of the Spirit within, the ability to deal with life through the comfort of the Spirit. But there's this promise. Like I said, his kingdom will have no end. So here it is. Quote this verse with me, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Shall not perish, you won't die in your sin, will have everlasting life. You see, Jesus tied it together. Before anybody knew about the crucifixion, because that really wasn't something they understood yet, Jesus tied his life and his death, not just to now, but forever. So if you ask that question, I want a good now and forever, Jesus is the answer to that. He can give you the good now. Not necessarily worldly blessings, but a sense of spiritual strength and health, a sense that you know where you are and where you stand in the universe, a sense that God loves you and he loves them, whoever them is. And yes, God does have a plan for your life. But there's more than that. In death, there is victory, isn't there? Because death isn't the end. I was talking to Greg Christie's son yesterday, and his dad had only died in the previous hour or so. And the first thing he said, after I said, I'm sorry, he goes, well, he's fine now. God's taking care of him. And that's right, isn't it? And in that sense of death, there was grief, but victory. Yes, dad is gone. But yes, God is caring for him. He's whole. His pain is gone. His mind is clear. He's with mom. All that's true. Now, I don't know all the details of how all that works, and neither do you. And people and preachers can fuss about the timeline and all that business. I don't have to worry about it. What I understand is, though, this. In this life, Jesus cares for me. And in the life that is to come, Jesus cares for me. And just like I don't understand everything about God's plan for me now... I hope his plan for me is to grow to be a, a pot-bellied old man that dies out under a tree. That's my plan, but I don't know if that's God's plan. And I don't know how it's going to work out, but I don't worry about it too much. God's in charge. Just like I don't really know what eternity is going to be like, but God's in charge. And the God who cares for me now will care for me then. There's a passage of scripture in Revelation. I'll just read this to you. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. This earth and the burdens and cares that it have are the first things. And in eternity, those things will pass away. And it's going to be better than you can imagine. On screen is a passage of scripture. Read this with me if you would. For our per perishable earthly bodies must be transformed into heavenly bodies that will never die. When this happens, when our perishable earthly bodies have been transformed into heavenly bodies that will never die, then at last the scriptures will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. How we thank God who gives us victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we say Merry Christmas, what we can mean is, I hope you have a good holiday. And that's okay. But don't stop there. 
when you say Merry Christmas and you wish people a Merry Christmas and you pray for people to have a Merry Christmas, pray that not only will they have good holidays, but understand the saving message of Jesus here and now and step into his loving hands forever. Why don't you stand with me? Nate's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of invitation. Maybe this is the time that you can consider following Jesus as Savior. Most of you have, I understand. But still, there's always an opportunity to make a stronger commitment to submit to God's leadership. Would you come and lead us in a closing prayer? Pray with me. God, we've opened up our Christmas presents and we've either played with them, consumed them, worn them, maybe even returned them. We're in the process of removing our Christmas tree, taking down our Christmas lights putting away our Christmas ornaments and decorations. We just ask that we don't put you away. We don't take Christ out of Christmas and put him away, put him up on a shelf. We thank you so much for the gift that you've given us of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we just pray that we will continue to grow in our faith and our love for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.